Hey y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today, which means you might hear two hosts. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy B. Wilson and it's August 27th. The Battle of Ambos Nogales took place on this day in 1918. On the border between the United States and Mexico, there are two cities, both named Nogales. One is in Arizona, and the other is in Sonora, and together they're called Ambos Nogales, which just means both Nogales. They've both existed since about 1880, and for the first few decades of their existence, all you had to do to cross the border from one to the other was just walk across the street. That started changing in 1910, thanks to the Mexican Revolution, which made things at the border a lot more tense. Uh, Although the revolution was being fought mostly in Mexico, all the American cities along the border were very scared about the idea of violence spilling over and affecting them. This wasn't an unwarranted fear. Sometimes that did happen. Things got even more tense with World War I. There were more and more rules about crossing the border and who could cross and when they could and what they could carry. And this was especially true for Mexicans coming into the United States. It went from a place where you could just walk across the street wherever you want to make an international border crossing to one where there were only two authorized points to cross the border. And if you were Mexican, only a specific number of times you could do it. On August 27, 1918, Zeferino Gil de Madrid was crossing back into Sonora from Arizona. He was a carpenter. He was well-known in the area. He had already stepped onto Mexican soil when an American border agent told him to turn around and have the bulky package that he was carrying inspected. A guard on the Mexican side told him he didn't need to pay any attention to that American guard. He was already in Mexico. He didn't need to turn back. Gil Madrid wasn't sure what to do, so he froze. And then a soldier on the American side pointed his rifle at him to encourage him to come back. Somebody, it's not clear who, fired a shot. Gil Madrid understandably hit the deck. The Mexican guards, thinking he had been killed, returned fire, wounding an American soldier. And then the American border agents fired back, killing two Mexican guards, and things really escalated from there. This led to hours of gunfire on both sides. On the Arizona side, it was mostly coming from the United States Army. On the Sonora side, it was mostly coming from civilians who had taken up sniper positions using their personal rifles in their homes and on roofs because most of the men who were stationed at the Mexican Federal Army garrison were away fighting rebels in the Mexican Revolution. Nogales Sonora Mayor Felix B. Penaloza came out with an improvised white flag, and he was shot and killed. A call from the Mexican consul to the subdistrict commander of the United States led to his getting a particularly rude brush-off. Finally, acting mayor Jesus Palma raised a white flag over the Nogales Sonora Customs House at about 7.45 p.m., although there were still several incidents of shooting after that point. More than 20 people were killed, although the number may really be much higher. And afterward, as he investigated what had happened, Brigadier General DeRossi Cabell advised that a temporary fence that had been put up to try to make things a little easier on the border guards be made permanent. This became the first permanent barrier along the border between the United States and Mexico. It started out as barbed wire, 
And over the years, it has been replaced with chain link and then corrugated steel, and now a series of concrete reinforced steel rods with gaps in between, which cost about $12 million. You can learn more about this, including more of the context and the aftermath, and an attempt to blame this whole thing on German agents in the August 22nd, 2018 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. And you can subscribe to this day in history class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can tune in tomorrow for a murder that reinvigorated the civil rights movement. Hi again. Welcome to This Day in History class, where history waits for no one. The day was August 27, 1883. The eruption of Krakatau, a caldera in the Sunda Strait in Indonesia, peaked. It was one of the deadliest volcanic eruptions in modern history. Krakatau is about halfway between Java and Sumatra. It's on the convergence of the Eurasian and Indo-Australian tectonic plates. More than a thousand years ago, in prehistoric times, an eruption formed a caldera in the area. The remnants of that caldera eventually turned into the islands of Lung, Berlatin, and Krakatau. In 1883, there were three volcanic cones on Krakatau. Herbawatan, the northernmost and most active, Danin, near the middle of the island, and Rakata, the largest and southernmost one. Before the 1883 eruption of Krakatau, there had only been one other confirmed eruption of the caldera. That eruption occurred in 1680. Travelers documented an earthquake at sea after a long period of tranquility on the island. But on May 20th, 1883, there was volcanic activity in Batavia, then the capital of the Dutch East Indies, but now corresponds with Jakarta. People began hearing explosions and feeling tremors. Ash clouds formed. By the end of May, the volcanic activity had died down. But around mid-June, the activity started back up. On the afternoon of Sunday, August 26th, the initial blast in a series of violent explosions occurred. Herbawatan sent a cloud of gas and debris miles into the air. Debris might have clogged the neck of Herbawatan in an earlier eruption, and pressure then built up below the blockage. Once the seawater touched the hot lava, then the resulting hot steam could have forced lava flows out at high speeds. The next day, the eruption reached its peak. People as far away as Perth, Australia heard explosions. In fact, there is evidence that the sound of the explosions traveled around the world. And the sound is considered to be the loudest one ever recorded in modern history. It was also heard in the Andaman and Nicobar Islands and on the island of Rodriguez in the Indian Ocean. Ash was sent 50 miles or 80 kilometers into the sky. Miles of rock fragments were sent flying into the air. Herbawatan and Danin plunged into the caldera, sinking hundreds of feet below sea level. All the ash in the air made the region around the eruption dark for a couple of days. And the effects that the gases had on the atmosphere caused vivid sunsets around the world. The eruption killed more than 36,000 people. 
Not many people died as a direct result of the eruptions, as it was likely that no one lived on Krakatau. Many people were killed by tephra, or volcanic rock fragments. Others died by the hot volcanic gases the explosions released. But way more people died because of the tsunamis that were triggered when the island collapsed into the caldera. Tsunamis as far away as Hawaii and South America were documented. Coastal towns in Java and Sumatra were hit the hardest, when an 120-foot wave caused most of the estimated number of deaths. News about the eruption, tsunamis, and all the devastation spread quickly. The Krakatau eruption measured a 6 on the Volcanic Explosivity Index, with the largest eruptions in history given an 8. It took several years after the eruption for plant and animal life to re-establish itself in the Krakatau archipelago. The eruption also likely caused a drop in average global temperatures for several years. After an eruption began on the seafloor in the same area in 1927, a new volcanic cone reached sea level and soon became its own small island, Anak Krakatau. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you haven't gotten your fill of history after listening to today's episode, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TDIHC Podcast. We'll see you here in the same place tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.